suck at golf and let me tell you why. I'm Avery Dovsik, your host of the Why You Suck at Golf podcast. Thanks for joining me on another episode. Today, I'm super excited to bring our guest, Paul Tesori on. He is Webb Simpson's caddy, and he's going to share a little bit about what it's like to be a caddy on the PGA Tour, his history, his job experience, his work experience, and a little bit about his foundation. But first, let's hear from Anchor. Happy to have Paul Tesori on here today. He currently caddies for PGA Tour player Webb Simpson and is the founder of the Tesori Family Foundation. Thanks for joining me. Avery, thanks for having me on. I uh, I love golf. I'm a geek at golf, and so anytime I get a chance to talk about it, I am ready to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, you have an amazing story, and I would love it if you would share how you got the job you have today and what your career path looked like over the years. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit of a buildup of everything. Um, I started caddying in 2000 for BJ Singh. Um, I had played professionally before that on the PGA Tour briefly in 97 and 99, um, some injuries derailed me and a little bit of a lack of talent too, to be honest with you, uh, to compete with those boys. Um, was fortunate enough that me and VJ were friends at the time and played and practiced together a lot. So he got me out and fast forward to 2010, I was working for Sean O'Hare. Um, we were having a, a great run, uh, top 20 in the world had won three times together. And, uh, he just, he really thought that he wanted to make a change to try to kind of reignite like a, a second half charge of his career. And so I was fired for the first time in my life and I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. Um, in December of that year, so 2010, I had a couple of offers from top 10 players in the world. Uh, both guys, uh, very, very good. Both guys are still very good, but I wanted to make a change. Uh, for me, faith is really important. And being a Christian, I, I really wanted to try to find a boss that had the same beliefs that I did and that maybe it would last longer than that three to four year mark, which seems to be the, the average case out there between players and caddies. And um, right uh, about an hour before I was about to accept the job, Webb Simpson called. And at the time, I didn't really know much about Webb. I knew he was a good man. Um, you know, he his faith was really important to him. And so very quickly, we started trying to do some research. He was 213th in the world. Uh, he had just kept his card in the last term of the year, the year before in 2010. And I didn't know what to do, but I said I wanted to try to find a personality fit versus just a good player. And so I said yes. And kind of, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, 2011 was our first year together, and he finished the year second in the FedEx Cup, won a couple times, played on the President's Cup team. Um, finished 10th in the world, uh, just had, had a really strong year. And so, um, you know, I think uh, a little bit of both things. I think I was able to help him kind of learn a little bit more about the game at that level uh, and obviously uh, developed a really strong friendship in the meantime. Yeah, your first year with him was incredible, and he definitely shot up the ranks quite a bit. Why do you think that happened as quickly as it did? I think a couple of things. First of all, guys that are super talented at a young age – they don't get to learn as many of I want to I don't want to call it the difficulties of golf. Uh, I'll just say they don't quite have the same array of shots. Uh, they've been so good for so long that they can get away just on talent. And so I think as far as Webb's understanding of proper course management on the PGA Tour, I'm not talking about college or anything else, but on the PGA Tour, there is really a distinct way that you need to play the game uh, where, you know, places that you need to be aggressive, places that you need to sit back, um, how to change your ball flights all over the place. You know, I think Webb and I now have about six different ball flights um, that we can talk about at any time. And back then Webb had one. 
Um, he was just going to hit it the same trajectory every time. So learning how to fluctuate, you know, if you're going to hit it low, mid height, regular height, a little higher, a little higher, or, or the super one up. And so, you know, he didn't know those things. And then the last part was he, his course management, he just kind of played the way we all played back then, which is if it was a 370 yard hole, he was going to hit a, uh, a five wood off the tee and hit a pitching wedge in the green and go where there's plenty of times a short hole like that. You need to hit driver to get it past all the trouble, uh, mm-hmm. set yourself up with a shorter shot. And then there's also plenty of times, which we've done and um, you know, guys have laughed at us before, but it's paid off for sure. But we also lay back on some 480 yard holes where driver might bring trouble into play. We might hit a, a five wood off the tee and leave ourselves a four iron in, but we know we've widened the hole and we've moved the percentages in our favor. So I think more more so than anything, it's those little things that a lot of times very talented guys at a young age haven't learned yet. I got it. So why do you think the Simpson to Sori pair works so well? Do you think it's mostly your faith or the friendship you have off the course? Or tell me about that. Yeah, um, I think it's a little bit of, yes, A and B that you just said. Faith is obviously extremely important to both of us, so we have that common denominator. Um, friendship has, you know, really deepened. He's, you know, one of my uh, dearest friends in the whole world. I definitely consider him like family. But we're also very similar in certain areas, both very uh, I just want to say goofy. We could find a game to play. I'm going to say typical boys. That might help everybody explain <laughs> that a little better. But, you know, we stay in hotels a lot together, which is rare for a player and a caddy. But we just have similar things that we think are fun. We love to watch NBA basketball together. Um, you know, if we're sitting in the room long enough, we're going to have some kind of game going on trying to throw uh, a golf ball into a can or trying to have paper footballs and flick them across the room or, or whatever it is. And, and then I, I think the last part, for me is that golf wise, we're very different. Um, I'm very mechanically inclined. I like things to be perfect. I'm a perfectionist and Webb's on the other end of the spectrum. Um, he is not mechanical by nature. He wants to play only by feel. And I think when you get two guys that are on the opposite ends, you can kind of mesh each other together and both meet in the middle. And that's what's happened during our time. And one reason why I think we've been such a good team is that I'm always going to tend to bring him too much my way as far as mechanics. And then he's always going to try to bring me too far the other way. And, you know, with a little bit of wrestling that we have to do every now and then just to make sure that we're, we're doing the right things. Uh, you know, we've hired a good team around us too. We, I've been, um, you know, part of Webb's coaching team uh, since I first started on the bag. We had his uh, high school um, golf coach, very, very talented and had a lot to do with web success um that's teddy kegel out of raleigh and then we've been working with butch uh we go to butch two to three times a year since 2014 and just for checkups and butch is just incredibly talented in that area as well just doesn't give us too much info but gives us just enough that to satisfy web and then it shuts my brain off because my brain's always seeing everything and so he's been really valuable to have as well i see it so Putting golf aside, how is your relationship with Webb off the course and especially right now um, with this whole quarantine? Yeah, so, you know, we're constantly in contact with each other. Uh, We probably talk on the phone once a week, but text probably five days a week. Uh, On the road, again, we stay together a lot, uh, go to a lot of movies together, go to a lot of dinners together. Um, I'm one of those when the day's over at three o'clock, I'm going back to the room. I don't really care to leave after that. I'm going to shower. I'm going to put my feet up on the bed I might do a little stretching, a little workout, but 
I'm done and he can't sit around. <laughs> so he's got to, he's going to be out at Starbucks, uh, you know, reading or just relaxing, maybe going through some emails and, um, and some other stuff. So, uh, that, I think it keeps it fresh that way. You're not in each other's space the entire time. And then as far as, you know, when we're home during off weeks, I'll fly up and see him, you know, once every three weeks, something like that work for the day, but also enjoy, you know, some good food, a, a nice little bottle of red wine and just kind of relax. So, very, very similar likes and desires off the golf course, with the exception that I can sit in a hotel room and he can't. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned being on the road. How is it? A, um, how is being on the road for you away from your wife and kids? Yeah, what a great question, Avery. It is the only negative to my job, uh, to be honest with you. I think if you're a single uh, person and you are going out caddying, then I think it's the greatest job on the planet when you have a good bag, which I've been very, very fortunate that all four of my guys have been really talented and played very well. Um, and you know, so, so that's made life easier. But when kids came around, my daughter's 14, my son is six, that changed everything. It's not as much about my wife because she knows what I'm doing. She knows I'm providing for the family and helping us get back through the foundation, these other areas, uh, by doing what I do. Um, and there's also sometimes where a little distance in marriage, it can be a good thing too, mm-hmm. just to, you know, make sure that you're still both individuals as well as being a team. Um, but as far as missing the kids, I break down at least once a year, every year. It's usually during that monster stretch at the end of the year where we're playing seven in a row or, you know, eight out of nine where I just, my heart starts to go dark. I just missing the kids so much and just hearing their voice isn't enough. And I think that's just one of those things that, uh, that kind of comes with the territory. I am going to try to do something different this year and that is just kind of take the boy out of school um and maybe even my daughter as well and just have them come out for one week on the road to break up the monotony because seven weeks in a row which i just did last year it's just it's too much without seeing the family oh that'd be so fun (laughs) they can escape school for a little bit absolutely i think so too i think so maybe we'll let them go monday and tuesday and then steal them out on a tuesday night flight (laughs) there you go so obviously this the whole pandemic is not what anyone wanted, but what event were you most excited to caddy for this season or even in the future? Yeah, so um, obviously for me, I live in Ponte Vedra, Florida. Uh, I grew up here, so the Players' Championship is my favorite tournament in the world besides Augusta. So it would be my second favorite tournament, um, Augusta, then it's the Players' for me. And it's the one that I still hold in high regard. been fortunate enough to win the U.S. Open with Weber, but winning the Players in 2018 was a bigger deal for me personally. Uh, my grandfather taught me how to play the game here. My dad still lives here moms, sisters, aunts, cousins, everybody. Uh, so the players in Webb was arguably playing the best golf in the world at the time going into the players. And we shot four under the first day in seventh place, just really excited about the next three days. And then obviously we got the news late at night, about 10 o'clock on Thursday night that they had canceled the tournament. So for me, that was gut-wrenching. Uh, sleeping in my own bed, just a great week. Had gone through a lot just with the foundation, with events that we had set up and um, had gotten through all of that and gotten off to a really strong start. And that was sad. And I, I think the next one that I would miss the most, even though it looks like we're going to have uh, a chance to play it again, for me, it would have been Harbor Town, so Hilton Head, RBC. Uh, I just love the golf course. I love the fans. I love the area. But it looks like that's going to come back. They're going to move dates and probably play RBC in late June. So um, it'll be nice to get that one back on the schedule. I know the PGA Tour still has a tournament 
lined up, I think, in May, right? Do you think that's actually going to happen? No. Yeah, I think they've pretty much given up on that hope. I think they're going to try to start the second week of June um, is what we are hearing from the ranks right now. Um, And that's probably going to be set in stone. Uh, It'd be the second full week in June, you know, starting somewhere around the 9th or 10th, somewhere in there. And it looks like that's like they're moving forward with that being the game plan. Yeah. Well, let's dive a little into TPC Sawgrass and how he won the tournament at 18 under. And that definitely is a course that requires you to drive the ball very far. And I know Webb doesn't drive it as far as some of the other players on tour. How did you manage that? And what was your kind of plan of attack for say? Yeah, it was it was one of those very strange weeks. So all the people that know me the best, they know I don't like giving like, hey, how's he looking? How's he going to play this week? I don't like those questions because we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, as an athlete, you can be playing as good as you could ever play and you might miss the cut or you might come in playing terrible and you might win. But it was the first time that I could ever remember that I told my wife when we were driving up the week before is at his home golf course up in Quail Hollow. And that course is just not built well for him. But the Players' Championship, TPC Sawgrass, is built perfectly for Webb. You have to drive it straight. You have to be able to work your ball left to right and right to left. Distance control is extremely important, and wedge play is important. So I said, baby, my goal is to finish top 20 at Quail and then win the Players. And she said, we hadn't won in four and a half years. She goes, baby, I don't think I've ever heard you say that. I was like, hon, that golf course is built for us. We're playing the best golf I've ever seen him play. I don't see why we won't win. And Wednesday, before the tournament started, I told my friends the same thing. I said, if we don't win, I'm not going to say I'll be shocked, but I, I, I really don't see how, if we do our job, that we're not going to be there with three holes to play. And, um, you know, we finished 21st at Quail the week before, so I missed that one by one. And TPC went out Thursday morning, shot six under, tied for the lead. And the hard part sometimes on tournaments like that is when you play Thursday morning, then you have to go out Friday afternoon. And a lot of tournaments are known for you don't really want that early Thursday, late Friday wave because the scores are really low on Thursday. The, the you know, the greens crew, the superintendents, the PJ Tour, they don't want the scores to go too low, so they turn the water off. You show up Friday morning, there still has dew on the ground and everything, so it's soft, but by Friday afternoon, everything starts to get really firm and fast and crispy. Oh. And that happened Friday afternoon. It was firm and fast and crispy, and <laughs> – Weber was 11 under par through 16 holes, which I, I still don't really know how it's possible. We were walking down the 16th hole, and a fan yelled out, um, three more for 59, Weber. And I said out loud to Weber, I was like, have another, buddy. Yeah. I thought we were only eight under at the time. I had no idea uh, that he was already 10 under par Oh my! <laughs> um, at the time. And he hit on the green and two-putted. And unfortunately, we got caught in between clubs on 17 and – had a wind gust where we had to back off the shot twice and blocked it and hit the bulkhead twice and went in the water, unfortunately, made double. Still shot nine under, tied the course record, and, uh, you know, went on to to win. And, you know, it was an incredible experience. For me, it was the most emotional week I think I've ever had. Um, like I said, for me, it's my caddy career. I've been fortunate to win over 20 tournaments caddying uh, the 2012 U.S. Open. But winning the players in 18 and four and a half year, you know, span without winning with Webb to be able to battle back from the putting band that cost him about two and a half years of his career and just everything that we had gone through. And for me, a golf course that I had walked on the first time before it was even sodded. Uh, it was as special as it gets. Yeah, that makes sense. And as a caddy and with not only Webb, but your past players, how do you deal with the hecklers? Cause they are so 
loud. <laughs> Avery, I'm not very good at it. I, I get a little angry with them sometimes. It It is a little bit of the caddy's job to take ownership in those situations. You don't want your player to have to get involved. Um, you know, our job is to be the jerk when it's time to be a jerk. That's what we get paid to do. So um, there's been plenty of instances. There's been twice that I've had to go outside the ropes. Uh, guys just going way too far. And sadly, where our game is headed, I don't think it's going to be very much longer until there's a true physical altercation on the golf course between fans and a player or a caddy. I agree. Um, it's just, it's gone way too far. Um, I wish there was some type of etiquette and play. And I realize we would lose some fans if that happened, but you take a look at a place like Augusta. There's no heckling at Augusta. There's nobody yelling at Augusta. Nobody's screaming at Augusta because you're not allowed to. If you do it, you're just escorted off the property. And I just – golf is different. And, you know, people that really were like, well, you, we can do it in football and basketball. Well, we're different. We call penalties on ourselves. We hold each other accountable. You know, we're still wearing pants out on the golf course. We're still dressed up. There's there's so many different things to golf. You're, you're helping each other, trying to get better. These are things that just don't happen in other sports. And so I, I wish it was a little different, but I know that that's, you know, probably not going to happen. And so I just – I hope somehow that the tour will figure out a way to just have security a little bit tighter. That's all. Um, I have gotten to a point now we just turn the blinders on as much as possible. And then if someone – either goes too far or they stay on us. We then, instead of me going out and being confrontational, we just, we have security come and just, and just take them off. Yeah. That's, that's hard to deal with. And people are brutal nowadays. I swear. They, it's like, let me see you do that. Like, let's see you they, out here. <laughs> they, they are. And I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of our society as a whole anyway. Um, and I, I, I don't have a problem with it on the football field because it's always been that way. Yeah. Um, I just feel like golf now has been pulled into the mainstream modernization of the way fans are. And I just, I do feel like it should be different. Um, you know, we're, we're a completely different sport from about anything out there. You know, Wimbledon still does a great job. I watch Wimbledon every year. They do a great job with fans. You know, again, if, if you're yelling at the wrong time or, you know, if you're being abusive anyway, you're just asked to leave. And I don't know, maybe we'll get there one day, but I think that's going to be a long time coming. I agree. Well, let's shift a tiny bit. And I just want to talk about course management. What kind of advice would you give to someone? No, I'm not going to say beginner because they're just happy to hit the ball in the fairway. But maybe someone around like a 10 handicap for their course management. What do you think a big mistake people are making? Yeah. Um, so I would say there's a few. Uh, you know, for your better players now, we we have someone who is doing something and has quantified something now that I've always kind of done. Um, well, since I started caddying in 2000 with Scott Fawcett with decade golf, he kind of goes through, he makes golf courses up and just gives you kind of percentages of where you're supposed to miss the ball. So I think the two things that most amateurs do extremely poorly, first of all, distance control into the greens. Um, Weber and I talk about it all the time and it just, it, it blows our minds. 99% of every shot we see an amateur hit in these pro-ams, or if we're out playing here at home, they're short. Um, you know, I think that they realize that they hit a pitching wedge about three years ago, 139 yards, so they feel like, okay, if I've got 139, it's a pitching wedge. Well, the problem is they might only hit one out of 100 wedges that far. And so I've always tried to say if the pin's 133, then try to give yourself five yards on both sides. Mm -hmm. So you need to hit something that 
you know, if you flush, it's going to go 138. And if you miss, it's going to go 128. So I would think just play for misses. We still do it um, at the level that we play at. You know, if Webb has to smash a seven iron to fly at 180 yards and he has to fly the ball on this one hole 179, we won't hit seven iron. He'll just hit a soft six and he'll take the trouble out of play. Um, and make sure that if he does miss it, that the ball is still going to be fine. And if he hits it perfect, it'll be perfect. If he overflushes it, it'll go to 30 feet. And, you know, we kind of have a, a theory that we try to hold to, and that is just no doubles. And it sounds like a, a silly comment to make at the level that we are at. But, you know, bogeys never really hurt you, but doubles do. Yeah. And I think Webb is on a streak right now of nine straight majors without a double, which is an incredible stretch to be able to do it in major championship golf. But when he gets out of position now, we just get it back in position. And I also think that's why his major record just continues to get better and better and better. Um, you know, we only lost the Masters last year by two. Uh, had some great chances on the back nine. Missed a couple putts inside six feet. Or we would have had a chance to tie Tiger. But um, – you know, it's it's one of those things that we have set out. So distance control first. And then the next thing is, guys, just do a little bit of work around the greens. Um, go see. I know everybody loves to get lessons on the full swing and bomb drivers and everything. But go get your local PGA pro. Take him out to the short game range and say, hey, can you just teach me how to hit a basic chip? Can you just teach me how to hit a basic bunker shot? Because uh, if you miss the green and you get it on the green and you two putt, the worst you make is bogey and you're going to save yourself shots. Yeah, clean scorecard is definitely very important. Does he get stressed a lot, and does he stay talkative when he gets stressed, or does he get quiet? Do you yeah. nonverbal communicate? Like, <laughs> so so Weber's gotten better and better. Um, I've watched him grow throughout time. So I started with him. We're on our tenth season now, and so yes, before if he was going bad or going really good, he would get a lot more talkative, a lot more fidgety, um, a little bit more doubt. Um, those kind of things, a little bigger lack of focus. Um, but as he's gotten older and he's worked really hard with his sports psychologist, um, he's a lot more the same now. We have a little rule. You only get 10 seconds after a shot to talk about it, and then it's over. Uh, we call that wasted energy. So 10 seconds after the shot, you can talk about the bad break. You can talk about the bad club. You can talk about all that stuff. But when 10 seconds is over, the conversation is over, and then Webb goes into what he calls off time which just means that's when you talk about the NBA scores last night, or that's when you talk about <laughs> what you're doing, what you're doing next week with the family, or that's what you, when you talk about um, anything else, it, it doesn't matter what that would be. Talk about my game. But once that 10 seconds is over and in between, it is his off time. And it's what he has been able to learn to do to save energy throughout not only the day, but the week and, you know, certain parts of our schedule, like this year, it looks like we're going to play six in a row and eight out of nine with, I think, four, three majors and a Ryder Cup in, in that nine week mix. So that's going to be a brutal stretch. So Weber will do a great job not wasting energy. And we believe that as long as you keep making deposits there and not wasting energy, that it pays off at the end. And, you know, Webb's kind of second half of his career here post anchoring ban. Um, has really been special. It saw him climb to his highest six in the world. I think we're ninth right now. And, um, you know, just uh, we're really, really looking forward to what's forward. I think it's because of the work he's done, again, like you said, uh, with his mental side that he's not really fidgety much anymore. He's not really over-talking. He walks fast every time. He's known as being the fastest walker on the PJ Tour. So um, we try to get him to slow down a little bit, but you don't want him to go outside his normal routine. But – 
um, that's the only thing I keep an eye on every now and then. You should be surprised, or you would be surprised how at the collegiate level that I play, these girls, if they hit a bad shot on nine, they're still talking about it on 12. And they're oh. wondering why they have a couple triples in between there is because they just can't put it together between the ears. It's incredible. A- absolutely. And I think uh, one of the things that you know I, I kind of introduced to Weber when I started working for him, it's all about having a process and a plan in place. So being able to sit back and say, okay, why am I still talking about something three holes later? Why did it cost me two or three shots in between? Okay, then once you say why, how do I fix it? How are we going to – because it's hard to just snap your fingers and fix it overnight. I struggle a little bit with that in my own game, even though I know better. I just – I can handle bad shots, but I don't handle bad breaks well. You know, I don't handle – if I strike the drive down the middle, I got 100 yards to a front pin, and I'm in a sand divot. Mm -hmm. I just – my brain just doesn't deal well. But I've come up with a game plan on how to deal with that better when I'm playing competitive amateur golf here at home. Um, I've just tried to do a much better job of handling that. And it's because I put a plan in place. So you're right about that. And we see it on the PGA tour. There is probably three dozen guys out there that are wasting energy. And here's the thing, Weber and I sit back, we see it. We make a mention of it because we used to be a little bit that way. And then we're like, well, there's another guy we don't have to worry about. Um, and that's usually the case. I think these players don't realize the advantage they're giving other players with being so physical with their emotions you know what I mean I agree I I I I agree completely and I think you always hear how Tiger and Jack talked about they just felt like they had this certain advantage and you didn't really see them run those same emotions now Tiger would would get angry but it would be a quick swipe of the club or a come on Tiger whatever then it was over and Jack was the same way you know it, it would be a common be something else I always heard you know Jack Jack was never wrong Jack never hit a bad club Afterwards, he'd be like, well, that was a stupid club. What are we doing? But then he'd, then he'd be done with it. That was it. And he didn't carry it on. So if those two guys did something the same, we should all do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> lastly, before I let you go, I want to talk about your foundation and the story behind it. Yeah. So uh, the Sorry Family Foundation, uh, just something that's so dear to my heart, me and my wife, Michelle. Um, we started it in 2010. Uh, It was something I always wanted to do. I played golf at the University of Florida, and we were there once a week. We would go just kind of give time at the local senior center, uh, play Yahtzee, uh, play Monopoly, just sit and talk and and spend time with these wonderful people. And so as I got older, I wanted to do something like that with my foundation, find a way to, you know, get volunteers together, a way to give back, you know, financially and also, you know, to the homeless shelters and just have a huge heart for kids Obviously, they're homeless, but also are struggling just eating day to day. And so in 2010, we started the foundation and here we are 10 years or 10 years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 10 years later. And (laughs) we've given back, uh, given back a little over one and a half million to the local charities. Uh, And for us, it's now a lot about the special needs community, too. My son, Isaiah, was born January 4th, 2014 with Down syndrome. And for us, it just gave us a huge heart right away to help the special needs community, just help them financially, but even more so just trying to create a network where people know that they are loved. Uh, we, we don't really find a lot of time where we can encourage other families and just remember, Hey, he's still a great little boy or a great little girl. Like don't just get wrapped up in the diagnosis. And we've been able to do that. And one of my favorite for me, one of my favorite programs we do is called the All-Star Kids Clinic, where we get 25 kids with special needs between ages of 8 and 18, and we introduce them to golf. 
and I get uh, every coach, so they get one-on-one instruction with a PGA Tour player, caddy, or teacher. And we team up with the first tee. First tees around the whole country. We'll have 20 this year at PGA Tour stops, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're able to give back. And my other one is Christmas Tree Angel that we do where we buy gifts for 100 families. Uh, we, we buy them, we wrap them and we deliver them to their homes. So, uh, we just, it has really turned into something that we just so adore. We look forward to these programs to be able to give back and, um, come check us out to sorryfamilyfoundation.org. And, um, you know, obviously we're not asking for financial help unless that's where you are led, but just encouragement, prayer, uh, support, all of that good stuff and volunteer opportunities too. That's amazing. It's funny how you said 2010 and 10 years later. Doesn't 2010 feel like a second? Yes, ago? it does. It, <laughs> it's just, but when I said it, it didn't sound right. I had to correct myself. I was like, wait, that's not right. Yeah, that is right. Oh, <laughs> it's nuts how fast. I feel like it's like March the 58th today. So, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just crazy. I wish it was that we could uh, still have the Masters go on. Uh, I know. I know. It's, it's We're going to have to wait till November for the Masters. That's just nuts to me. But, I know. Oh, well, well uh, yeah. I don't know. What did they say? Absolutely. It's the second week of the Masters yet, November 8th to the 11th. So we'll have two Masters within five months, though. That's good. So you got to look at the positive side. We'll have. That's going to be rowdy. I'm excited. It it is. It is. We'll have two of them very quickly. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about everything. I can't wait to see what you and Webb do this season when play finally returns. But until then, all you can do is stay happy and healthy and enjoy all the time with your family. That's it, Avery. Thank you for having me on. Keep up all the good work and good luck on your own golf game. And I hope to meet you sometime in the future. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I swear he is the nicest guy ever and such a genuine person to talk to. But if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to give it a rating of five stars. Maybe shoot me a comment. You can find me on any social media at Avery underscore Dovsek. That is A-V-E-R-E-E underscore D-O-V-S-E-K. Thanks for joining me on today's episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh.